Um, thank you guys so much for worshiping with us this morning. We're going to uh, jump right in and continue the story of Joseph. We're calling this series Messy Masterpiece. And you can see already as we have been getting through it, we're not even, we're not even almost halfway through the story of Joseph yet and everything that he has gone through. But you can see already how if we look at all of these individual things that have happened to Joseph, we would look at his life and go, man, it is, that is messed up. There is so much going wrong for him. It's so not fair. It's so um, just, it's just a big mess out on the table. But we know that God is working all of those pieces together to do something that Joseph at this point doesn't even see. He doesn't even know, doesn't even understand. And so last week we talked about uh, his encounter with Potiphar and with Potiphar's wife and we saw him come face to face with temptation and we talked about a couple of things I just want to remind you of. One was that temptation creates fantasy in our lives. Anytime creation comes on us, it creates this fantasy, but the way we battle that fantasy of temptation is to remember what is true, remember what is, what is real, what reality is, and to keep our minds focused on that. And so we saw Joseph do that, and we also saw through his encounter with Potiphar's wife that the world does not always reward integrity, does it? We can, we can be people of honesty and integrity and do the right thing. And it's not always going to pay off in the eyes of the world. Um, I've already talked about Rich Mullins this morning, but I, I've said this several times. My, one of my favorite quotes of him, uh, he said, Go out into the world and live real good, and I promise if you do, you'll get beat up real bad. And... And that's true. That's true so many times. When we go into the world and try to live right and do the right thing and honor God and honor people, sometimes it still ends up in things not going the way we want. But God always notices. God always knows and notices. And the world may see our integrity and not reward it. And we may even be punished by the world for our integrity. But God notices. And he always remembers and he always honors it so now we find joseph in this part of the story where he is innocent he's done nothing wrong and he's in prison now he's already he's already been sold into slavery by his brothers without really doing anything wrong and now he's been in potiphar's house he hasn't done anything wrong this false accusations come against him and he's in prison again and probably he's thinking what in the world is going on. Why is this happening to me? But we see a faithfulness. We see a faith in Joseph through this that the Lord is honoring. And so, so we're going to continue. We're going to cover a lot of verses this morning. So I'm going to try to move through them uh, as quickly as I can. I'm not going to tell you how many verses because then you'll freak out. So, and you'll think we're going to be here all day. So I'm going to try my best. If you listen fast, we'll try to go fast. Does that sound good? All right, uh, we're going to pick back up right where we left off at the end of Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to start with verse 21, and we're going to see the end. We, we ended last week, and on purpose, I wanted to end last week with the knowledge that Joseph has done the right thing, but he's ended up in prison, and, and that was kind of where we left off. But look at verse 21 in chapter 39. There's always a big but, <laughs> 
And, there, and there's, there's one right here in this verse, okay? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. Verse 23, the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. What? Do we understand? I know we're used to reading Bible stories and not really taking in. Do we understand what is happening right here? He is a prisoner in the jail running the jail. When does that happen? Ever. Um, there's two things in these verses that we want to point out that are really important. That, that um, it, it makes very clear. Number one is that um, there are two things that are following Joseph through this journey constantly. And, and the first thing is the presence and kindness of God. That verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. And he granted him favor with the prison warden. So um, this is something sometimes that, that we can misunderstand about God. Aren't, aren't we sometimes quick to assume that we're being punished when our circumstances go bad? Isn't there something about our human nature that says when something goes wrong and we don't deserve it and we think it should be another way, there's something in us that goes, wow, God, are you punishing me? What did I do wrong? Joseph's done nothing wrong. But he's in prison. So, when that verse 21 says the Lord was with Joseph and he extended kindness to him, this, he's not done anything wrong. This is not a situation where Joseph is being punished by God for anything he's done wrong. So that's something we need to kind of train ourselves and ask the Lord to help us understand, especially as believers, to know that, that the kindness of God is very real in our lives. And just because something is not going the way we think it's supposed to go does not always mean God is punishing you for doing something wrong. Remember, there's a, there's a plan. And we're going to see, even in this, in this section of the story where he's in prison, we're going to see God doing that in his life. It, he gives him... Um, the, the kindness of God and the favor of God is following Joseph, but also the supernatural favor of people. Do you realize that normally if anybody who was accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife, the punishment would have been execution. Joseph should have died. Anybody else? That's what would have happened. But... Remember, the scripture said that he had favor with Potiphar. And that was because of the Lord. Um, and I also think, based on the text, it's very likely that Potiphar gave Joseph the benefit of the doubt because Potiphar probably knew his wife. Let's just put it that way. 
She probably had a reputation. This may not have been the first time this happened. And so because Potiphar knew the circumstances, he knew his wife probably better than anybody, and he valued Joseph so much, and he ascribed value to Joseph's God, he says, I'm not going to kill you, but I am, I've got to put you in prison. So, so God is showing this favor through Potiphar. Um, and this prison that Joseph is in right now is a royal prison. This is not, he didn't just get thrown in prison with all of the, with all of the common criminals. This, was, this would have been a separate section or a separate part of prison that was reserved for royal prisoners. People who were prisoners directly of the Pharaoh and his officials. So it, it was a different kind of prison. Okay, it was a it was a, a specific prison for uh, political and and government um, criminals, and so there's this supernatural favor. He's he's in prison, but he he God gives him such supernatural favor with the prison warden. That he's running the prison. The warden basically hands over charge of all the other prisoners to Joseph. And says, you take care of everything. Um, There's actually a position archaeologists have found in their studies that there there would have been in in the Egyptian culture there an actual, uh, like the title for the prison warden, but they found another title in some of the documents and things that they have excavated that shows that there was another title in the Egyptian prison system that was called the scribe of the prison. And this was the person who was basically in charge of keeping all the records for the prison and managing all of the assets. And so many people believe that this may have been the title that Joseph was given because he had experience managing his brothers for his father, right? And that was his job at Potiphar's. He was in charge of all, of all of his servants. He was in charge of all of his assets, of, of all of his wealth, everything that he had. So you can see how the preparation in the past of Joseph's experience set him up for this. And, and then there's this supernatural favor of God that gets thrown into it. And again, being at what we think might be the worst place he could be, it kind of turns into like the best possible circumstance he could be. He's running the prison. I don't know how many of you have seen or, or love the movie The Shawshank Redemption. That's one of my favorite movies ever. And when I, every time I read this, I think of Andy Dufresne and The Warden. Because if you've, if you've ever watched that movie, what, what you find out was when Andy Dufresne goes to Shawshank... He's really smart, brilliant. He's a, he's a banker. He's an accountant. And the warden, it's crooked, but the warden finds out, hey, you have the skills that you can help me. And so because Andy has the ability to do things that are helpful to the warden, the warden lets him get away with all kinds of stuff. He gives him protection. Um, he, he gives him access to parts of the prison that, that the rest of the prisoners don't have. Uh, he gets preferential treatment. And that's almost a little bit of what I, what I picture when I see this. Okay, so God, again, has put him, he's in prison, but he's, he's in charge of the prison. The warden has said, Joseph, you handle it. And, it. and it sounds, even the way it's written, it's very much like his experience with Potiphar, isn't it? 
The scriptures even say Potiphar didn't worry about anything under Joseph's care except the food that he ate. The warden, it, it almost, it's almost the exact same language. The warden didn't worry himself with anything that was under Joseph's care. Again, he says, because the Lord was with Joseph. There's, there's this acknowledgement by the warden even that it's supernatural. His ability, his, his, his favor. And so now let's move into chapter 40. Let's look at verse 1. So now he's in the prison, but he's in charge of everything, and he's running everything, okay? Verse 1. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. Hmm. Verse 4, the captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. Now, here's two new royal prisoners that are put into the same prison that Joseph is in. One is the chief baker for the king. One is the chief cupbearer. And you can probably guess what their responsibilities were. The baker would have been in charge of all of the food that came across the table of the pharaoh. The cupbearer was responsible for all of the wine that came across his table. It says that they offended their master. Now, what in the world would a a baker and a a wine supervisor, cupbearer, whatever you want to call him, what would they have possibly been accused of to end up in prison? Poisoning the king. That's probably what these guys ended up, when it says they offended their master, this was a, a collusion that they were accused of both conspiring with each other to possibly murder and poison the pharaoh. So when they're put into the prison, it says that the the chief warden put Joseph in charge specifically of these two men, and it and it called him his personal their personal attendant, which means that he didn't just watch over them, but there was almost because this is a different kind of prison. There's almost a, a sense here that Joseph not just watched them and supervised them, but he he took care of them. He, he met their needs. He, he made sure they were fed. He made sure they had everything that they needed. And, um, and Joseph served them. I mean, it, it, this personal attendant title also had an element of service to it. So here's these two complete strangers that come into Joseph's life. He's put in charge to serve and take care of them, and he does that. Seems at the time to be a completely random thing. Not significant at all. Do you ever wonder why certain people come into your life? Do you ever look around sometimes at the people that are in your life in that circle and go, how did they end up here? Like, why, why is it that this person is in my life? And, and, why, and, and sometimes the circumstances of them coming into our lives are, are so... Uh, random, like we don't always see it coming. Here's something I want you to remember. Here's the first point for this morning. The purpose of God 
is present in the people he brings into our lives. Joseph doesn't know it yet. But these two are brought into his circle for a very specific purpose that God has. Are we mindful as people of how intentional somebody's presence in our life might be in God's sight? I think most of the time we just look at the people in our life, maybe even the people in this church. If you look around this room and see the people who are in this room, have you ever stopped to wonder just how intentional it is that this person is that's sitting in front of you or down the row from you, that that person is in this church family with you? You may think, oh, well, it's just because they just decided to come one day. It was just chance. Why? Are you sure? You may not know it yet. And maybe you've experienced it, that some, somebody in your circle you thought was just there because they were there and there was no other reason. But then later on down the road, you realized, wow, I don't know that I could have survived this without that person. Just how intentional. And to think, blow your mind for a minute, to think about the fact that it could be that every single person that's in your life is there for a specific purpose for what God is doing in you. Every single one of them. And then let me blow your mind again. You may be in each and every one of their lives for a specific purpose for something that only you can do in their life. There is nothing about this story. There is no detail of this whole story that's just chance. Every piece that God moves on the table and puts together, there's a big reason for it. And, and this is part of that. It's not just in people that we're in relationship with, but strangers too. You think about, well, what are the reasons I'm in relationship with these people? Those are intentional. But don't you believe, could it be that God would have a total stranger walk into your life for some very specific reason? He has purpose. There's purpose. I believe, in all of our relationships. And we just have to stop and open our eyes and see it for a minute. Let's continue. Verse 5. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with them, with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, up until this point, it seems that they're together. It's just random chance, right? But now on the same night, these two men have two different dreams, each having a different meaning. And we see a little picture of Joseph's heart in this. 
Somebody who is angry and bitter about where they are usually doesn't concern themselves with other people and their feelings. You notice that as Joseph comes into them that morning, he sees, it says he notices that there's something wrong. And he asks them. He says, tell me, why are you, why are you so sad? Why are you guys acting different this morning? That tells us that, that Joseph is not badly, if he's bitter and angry at where God has him right now, he doesn't care about them. He's only thinking about himself. Isn't that true? Bitter, angry people most of the time just think about themselves. When we're bitter and angry about where we are, we're just thinking about ourselves. But Joseph is not doing that. He's built a relationship with these guys. The, the text says he saw that they looked distraught. That means he had built a relationship with them to where, you know, there are people in your life that you can just look at them and tell if something's bothering them, right? And then, and then you ask them, hey, what's wrong? And they look at you and go, nothing. And you just want to pop them because you know good and well that's not true because you know them. He sees them and he says, like, something's up with you guys. What, what is going on? What's wrong? And then they tell, they tell him about the dreams, and Joseph ascribes again. He doesn't say, I can tell you. I can interpret your dream for you. I know, I, I know I've, I've had dreams. I've had dreams about things that are going to happen in the future. I've got experience with that. Why don't you tell me your dreams? And you notice he doesn't respond that way, but he ascribes glory to God for what God would give him the ability to do. He says, Don't, doesn't interpretation of dreams belong to God alone? <laughs> There's that acknowledgement in Joseph that, yeah, God uses me to accomplish things, but it, it's not because it's mine. It's not because I have any ability. It's all him. So this isn't, he's not asking them about their dreams because he wants to be a fortune teller, because he's looking for fame. This isn't even just a curiosity like nosy, rosy, uh, gossipy like, ooh, tell me about your dream. It's nothing like that. Like he's genuinely concerned. And he thinks that God may be able to speak into the lives of these two men through him. And so he says, interpretations of dreams belongs to God. Tell me, tell me about them. Because if you share that with me, maybe God can say something to you. Maybe that's why I'm in your life right now. He wants to speak into their lives. So look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, <coughs> and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. 
Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. So the cupbearer trusts Joseph enough. He says, okay, let me tell you about my dream first. And he explains it to Joseph. And, and the interpretation that God gives Joseph for the cupbearer's dream is a good one. It's a positive one. He says, you are going to be restored. What, what you did before, you're going to be fully restored back into that position with the Pharaoh. You're going to be serving him again just like you used to. And think about it for a minute. That was a really, really bold interpretation. Like there are people today who, who claim to be able to tell the future, right? We see them on TV. We see them on the Internet. You pay them enough money, they'll give you this, uh, you know, I can, I can see into your future. I can see where you're going to. And, and, and most of the time it's like fortune cookies, right? <laughs> like you open up your fortune cookie and you read it and go, oh, wow. You know why you do that? Because it's so vague. Like I can tell you, oh, something good is going to happen to you today. That's easy. Like some of you is going to go home and eat something really good for lunch, and you'll be like, hey, that's my great thing that happened to me today. Or for somebody, it's going to be something different. It's so vague. But this is not a vague interpretation. This is very specific. And there's boldness in what Joseph says. In three days, he gives him a specific timeline. Also, he doesn't just say you're going to be restored back to your position with the Pharaoh, but it's going to happen in three days. Why in the world would Joseph be that bold if he wasn't fully confident that what he was telling him came from God? It, again, it shows that it, it's not Joseph. It's, it's, it's coming from God. So it would be proven very, very quickly if Joseph was telling the truth or not. And Joseph wasn't intimidated by that. He was so convinced that God was giving him a truthful interpretation to share with the cupbearer. He lays it all out. Very specific very confident. But then Joseph asks him a favor. And, and think about this for a minute. If Joseph had not been fully confident that the cupbearer was going to be restored back to his position with the Pharaoh, he wouldn't have asked him for a favor. We'll see in a minute, the baker's interpretation was not good. He didn't ask the baker to mention him to the Pharaoh to help him get out of prison because he knew the baker wasn't going to end up there. But he knew the cupbearer was. He says, when you are there, again, full confidence in what God is saying in the moment, when you are back in your position with the Pharaoh, will you please mention me? Because even though God was with Joseph, Joseph didn't desire to stay in prison. And here's another point I want you to remember. God's presence in our circumstance doesn't mean he desires for us to stay there. And we should, we should know that and understand that because if, if God is moving in our lives and he's moving us from place to place, we should always know that he never leaves us he never forsakes us, but that doesn't always mean that he wants us to stay there in that moment forever. 
Like, there's bad circumstances there. Uh, I mean, this was still prison, y'all. I mean, <laughs> even though Joseph was in the best position he could be while he was in prison, he's still in prison. And he doesn't want to be in prison. And so he, he says, he, he has a confidence that God has something better for him. But while he's in that moment, he's content to rely on the goodness of God in the midst of the bad circumstances. That doesn't mean that he believes God wants him to stay in the bad circumstances for the rest of his life. He has hope. Right? It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We're content. We, we, we live our lives the best we can on this world. We love life. I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of us are really super excited about dying and leaving the people here in this world that we live in because, because we, we, we're, we're grateful for it. We, we, we live and experience. But, but we know that God's per- we're not supposed to be here forever. There's a hope that there's something better that he's moving us to. And so Joseph is like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm honoring the Lord and the Lord is blessing me here, but I know this is not where I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. Will you please help me? Mention me to the Pharaoh. And then look at verse 16. It says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, uh, I love that little detail. The, the baker wasn't going to say anything. The baker was like, uh, I'm not telling you about mine. But then he hears the cupbearer's dream and he hears Joseph say, well, yours is good. You're going to end up back with the Pharaoh. Everything is going to be just the way it was. You just need to wait three days. So the baker hears that and goes, hmm. Well, since his was good, look at what he says. He says to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. What? I want that, guys. What are you talking about? You just told him he's going back to Pharaoh. Everything was going to be fine in three days. How do I get my head chopped off and become bird food? Like, you got to be, I, I'm just wondering what he's thinking here in this. And, and the way Joseph said, yeah, the Pharaoh's going to lift up your head, all right. I mean, that's what he says. <laughs> the Pharaoh will lift up your head from off your body. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh because the baker's not laughing. The baker is going, what in the world? That is not what I was looking for. Not positive. Joseph tells the baker, you're going to die. You will be executed. This tells us something about Joseph's motivation. Joseph was not concerned about winning 
over the favor of these two guys. Joseph was concerned with telling the truth. If he wanted to just get the favor of these guys, he wouldn't have told the baker that. He would have given him some other story or some other more positive spin on the interpretation, but he doesn't pull any punches here. He says, nope, you're going to have your head cut off and they're going to hang your body up for the birds to eat. Like, you talk about brutal, straightforward truth. That's what Joseph does. Joseph isn't worried about favor. He's worried about truth. He is faithful to share exactly what God has revealed. And folks, we need to be worried about truth. And maybe a little less worried about wanting people to like us. I mean, that, that's what hits me there. He was so convinced of God's faithfulness and, and that this interpretation was from God. He tells him the truth. He says, this is what's going to happen to you. Maybe part of the reason, maybe part of the reason our country is in the shape it's in is because there's those of us who know what the truth is, but we're not telling people. We're not telling people that there's a judgment coming. We can't tell them it's in three days, but it might be in three days. Like we, we don't want to tell people that their, their destiny is death. Eternal death without Christ because we want them to... We, we're, we're more concerned with the temporary favor than with the truth. I, that, and that includes me. Let's be concerned. Joseph was concerned about the truth. Not about telling the baker uh, what he wanted to hear. So let's look at verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. And he elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, exactly the way Joseph said. But verse 22, but Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. It went exactly the way Joseph said. Everything that he told them came true. Verse 22, just as Joseph had explained it to them. But then there's verse 23 at the end of it. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Everything happened exactly the way God said it would happen through Joseph. The way God had revealed it to Joseph, it happened exactly that way. Can you imagine being both of these guys over the next three days? Joseph gives them a specific time. In three days, this is what's going to happen. They had to sit in that prison for three more days while they waited on that. Can you imagine being the, the, the baker? And Joseph's told you in three days you're going to die. And then, and then being the cupbearer, 
thinking in three days this will all be over for you. You'll, you'll be back to freedom. And then when it's the Pharaoh's birthday and he hosts this big feast and it, and it says that he restored, um, that he, he elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. He goes and calls for both of them to be brought out of prison. And maybe the baker is thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be this way. Maybe I am going to survive because he calls both of them out. Nope. <laughs> he basically, I'm calling you out of prison so I can hang you. It's obvious that if there was a conspiracy to poison the king, that the baker was guilty. And it wasn't just, what what was happening here was not just God interpreting a dream. It was God enacting justice. The baker was guilty and the baker knew he was guilty. And this was like, this is almost, to me, I think of um, when, uh, when the prophet Samuel came to King David and, and, and said, uh, and, and told him the story about the sheep and said, you've taken, uh, you, you, a man is, has taken the man who had one sheep and taken it for himself. And, and David said, who is this man that, that he would do such a thing? And Samuel looked at him and said, you're the man. You, you've done this. This was, this was God speaking judgment to this baker. He was just using Joseph to do it. The dream came from God. It didn't come from Joseph. So it accomplished two things. God was glorified through Joseph because what Joseph said, God said, actually came true. So everybody who knew about what Joseph had said realized, wow, Joseph's God is real. His accuracy in everything that he said gave glory to God, but it also gave credibility to Joseph's word and, and credibility to Joseph's gift. That, like, there was this mutual thing going on. Joseph was giving glory to God, and at the same time, God was giving credibility to Joseph. And everybody who knew, everybody in that prison goes, wow, what this guy says is true. And the reason it's true is because his God is great. His God is great and it gave credibility to Joseph's word and it gave credibility to the gift that Joseph had. When we seek to glorify God, with what he's given us. When we glorify him, he'll also give credibility to our word. And that's how the world believes us. <laughs> there's, there's too many people who ascribe to Christianity and they operate in themselves not relying on God, not giving glory to God, not reflecting back to God. And there's no credibility in what they say. And the world looks at their lives and goes, that doesn't mean anything to me. But God was giving Joseph credibility so that when Joseph spoke in the name of his God, people actually believed it. 
Don't you want the world to believe you when you speak up about Jesus? There's too many unbelievable believers. But then Joseph's favor got forgotten. It says the cupbearer forgot about him. Again, Joseph is wronged. From his view, from our view, that stinks. That's not fair. Joseph, all Joseph did was ask this guy to remember him and mention him to Pharaoh. But as soon as the cupbearer got back in his position, he completely forgot about Joseph. And you say, wow, that's awful. That's terrible. What a bad thing to happen to Joseph. Not really. Right then it was. But the reason the cupbearer didn't say anything about Joseph then, that was all orchestrated by God. Because later on, God's got a greater purpose in mind that was going to be even greater than Joseph getting out just because the cupbearer said something to the Pharaoh. You see, here's the last point I want you to remember. People God chooses for great purposes, he grows through great preparation. I hope that sentence makes sense. People whom God chooses for great purposes, he grows through great preparation. The purpose that God was preparing Joseph for was still to come. So it wasn't time for Joseph to come out of the prison yet. That's why the cupbearer forgot about him. And we, again, we look at the present circumstances and go, that stinks, that's bad, that's not the way it should be. But then God sees the whole picture and he goes, no, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. So here's three questions I want you to think about this morning as we close. Have you mistaken God's preparation for God's punishment? Maybe you're in a place in your life where you feel like God's punishing you. Maybe you feel like this is, this, there's wrong happening in my life and it's not fair and I don't know why God is letting this happen and you're angry. And you think God is punishing you for something. That may not be the case at all. Maybe you're mistaken his preparation for punishment. Maybe whatever you're going through right now, as bad as it looks... Is preparation that he is setting up so that you'll be ready to do what he wants you to do later. Such a bigger picture that we have to begin to open our minds and hearts to see and not just take our circumstances and, and, and complain to God and be bitter and angry with him because something wrong. He is our father. He loves us. He has a planned purpose for us so don't mistake his preparation for punishment it may not be that he's not punishing you but he's saying I'm preparing you for something that I've got for you down the road that's way better than this little thing that you're hoping for right now who are the people God may be using 
to pave that path. If God has a bigger plan and purpose down the road, that something greater he wants to do, who are the people that he's putting into your life right now that he's going to use to accomplish that later? And you know what? It may be somebody that you don't even realize. There may be somebody that's walking into your life tomorrow that God is going to use months from now to do something great in your life and you don't even know it. Or who are the people who are in your life right now that you've just not noticed? Can you, can you begin to change the way you look at people? Can you begin to look at people and see the potential of what God can do in your life through them? And anticipate it and be ready for it. Because if we begin to see each other as vessels of God's purpose in our life, I think we'll begin to care about each other in a different way. I think we'll begin to see each other differently. And maybe we won't be so quick to forget each other. Like the cupbearer happened to forget now. And then one last question. How could God be using you right now in paving somebody else's path to his purpose for them? Another thing we have to remember is that our life that we live is not all about us. We kind of we tend to look at the world from, from our perspective, like everything that happens in the world and everything that happens in all the people's lives around us, how is it affecting me? I think this story shows us that that we need to open our eyes to, to what, what purpose is God wanting to use us. It's not that we are always Joseph in the story. Sometimes we're supposed to be the baker. Sometimes we're supposed to be the cupbearer. Like we, we can't just read the story and put ourselves in Joseph's place. Who are you going to be a cupbearer for later? Who, who, whose life has God inserted you into that you or them don't even realize? And what purpose is it that he's trying to accomplish in them, for them? And, and you're a piece of that.